Tuesday is election day, and of course we want to encourage you to vote. In fact, we are being told that this is one of the most historic elections, if not the most historic election we have ever held. Uh, Both political parties have offered up people on their ticket that will be the first for America. Barack Obama would be the first African-American elected to the presidency, and Sarah Palin would be the first woman as vice president. Their running mates are two old white guys (laughs) who have been in Washington for decades. So they are not the historic ones. I, too, believe that this is an historic election, but not for the reasons that we are told by the media. I personally believe there are some issues far more significant than what is getting airtime in the news or by the candidates. This past week, some of you may have read in my blog or perhaps even heard on the local radio station that I received a letter that I considered to be threatening from a group reminding me, and I'm simply going to quote a part of that letter, that any, I want you to hear this, that any activity designed to influence the outcome of a partisan election can be construed as intervention and therefore constitute a violation of the IRS code barring endorsement of candidates and it can revoke the institution's tax-exempt status or levy significant fines on the church or on its leader. They told me that this year there will be heightened enforcement and that a special political activity compliance initiative. Doesn't that sound overwhelming? It's been created in order to police this. Now, I want to underscore that this was not a letter from the IRS but it came from what I would define as a liberal watchdog group called Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, which, by the way, is a phrase that's not found in our Constitution. In fact, the only place you'll find the phrase separation of church and state in any Constitution is in the Russian Constitution. For those of you that may have been with me now through the years, you know that I am fairly well-versed in America's godly heritage. I have shared on more times than I can count the background, the foundation of America's Judeo-Christian ethic. I have talked to you about the men, the women that have been a part of the founding of this nation. I understand intricately the law that governs 501c3s and nonprofit activity. And most of all, I can read the First Amendment. I believe that there is a concerted effort to not only marginalize Christians, pastors, and other faith-based leaders, but if possible, to completely remove us through fear and through intimidation from the ability to speak to our congregations about issues that are directly linked to our faith and obedience to God. You know how it works, by and large, out in the world. They'll let you pray, they'll let you sing, they'll let you worship, They'll let you marry and bury. They will let you pay people's light bills. They will let you feed the hungry. But don't you dare presume to inject your faith or your God into our pleasantly secular world. 
You have crossed the line if you choose to do that. We will fine you. We will take away your tax-exempt status. We will levy your accounts. We will take away all the benefits that your benevolent government has given to you. Welcome to the new USA that you and I are fixing to walk into. As a pastor, I just want to remind you that I'm not ordained by the IRS. The government didn't call me into ministry. For that matter, the church as an organization didn't call me either. God called me. God called me. I'm, I'm a shepherd as unto him. I love you. I care about you. I appreciate all the things that happen as we gather together as the church. But the bottom line is God is who I shepherd as unto. It's really the same with the church at large. The church is not here by the gracious will of the IRS. We didn't, we didn't suddenly come into existence because I got the, the nonprofit letter from Pennsylvania or Atlanta or from uh, some other city that the IRS is set up in that says you can now be a church. We're a church because God has called us together as the church. We're not here because it's just the benevolent nature of our government. Folks, there are Christians meeting in the church right now in dictatorships that they don't want a meeting. And we watch it on the screen and we hear the testimonies of of our missionaries and we say, yeah, you go for it. And then suddenly it comes to our own nation and we get a little timid. All through the Bible and all through history and all through this nation's history, the pastors and the prophets And the church, the people of God at large, have spoken to the needs and to the sins of their nation. And folks, we will do that with or without tax exemption. You don't change your obedience based on an IRS regulation. The Bible gives me my marching orders. It should give us all our marching orders. It tells us some things about how we're to approach our nation and these things and I suspect the guys will have the the scripture ready for you, but if you brought your Bibles, I'll be reading out of Deuteronomy chapter 4, just a couple of verses. Deuteronomy 4, beginning with verse 5. I want you to listen to what Moses tells the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 4, beginning with verse 5, it says this. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself. He says, just remember this. Diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. And I'm going to share this morning on the Sunday before election on what I've entitled Silent No More. 
Moses is telling the people of Israel that as they go into their land, that as they go in, they are to act or do what it is they have been taught. They are to take special pains to be sure that they obey what God has said to them. For in so doing, Moses says, the nation would retain its greatness and the Lord would be near to it. And he ends by saying, take heed lest you forget. Remember to teach it to your children and to your grandchildren. Folks, what was to work for ancient Israel as a nation is still God's pattern for a great nation today. We will not be great unless we adhere to his ways. Now, I want to share some things with you this morning, just some personal remarks that I don't know that I've ever done in all the 30 years that I've been in the ministry. I am keenly aware of the non-endorsement regulation of the IRS. I understand that the regulation says that a church can neither endorse nor can it campaign against any political candidate. If it does so, it risks losing its tax-exempt status. I understand the history of it and how it got here. Many of you may not realize that the church became a a tax-exempt or a tax-deductible type institution in 1913. That's pretty much when income tax finally became a feature in the American life. That says something right there. In 1913, this took place. It was over 40 years later in 1954 that Lyndon Johnson, who as a senator, was irritated that there were several ministers in Texas that stood up publicly in their churches and took him to task out of the scripture, some of the policies that he was advocating, decided that when he was reelected, he would go back to Washington and he would insert into the tax code this particular regulation. Listen to me. There was no public debate. There was no hearing. There was nothing that the public even was aware of at that particular time. And unfortunately, in 1954, the church was asleep at the wheel. And suddenly within our culture came this this understanding that somehow the church can't speak to political things. Now, it may be smart for a church to take that position because you could make the case that We want to reach out to people of all backgrounds. We want to reach out to Democrats and to Republicans and to independents. And we want to reach out to all these people. So it might be a smart thing for the church to do. But that's the church's choice. It's not the government's choice. And the fact of the matter is this regulation is enforced so capriciously and arbitrarily. I'm amazed at how many conservative-type churches got the letter. I'm just wondering how many liberal-type churches got the letter. The fact of the matter is nothing, nothing trumps the First Amendment and nothing trumps the Word of God. Even as we speak, there are 30 churches right now, 30 churches all over America, far larger, far more influential than Legacy, who have been asked by a group called the Alliance Defense Fund. The Alliance Defense Fund is a First Amendment group that does what it can in order to protect First Amendment rights, mostly to churches. And they asked certain churches to participate in an event where they would literally stand up and begin to encroach 
upon the regulation that the IRS has put out there. And the reason they asked them to do that was so they could litigate it and get it to the Supreme Court. I know one of the pastors personally. We need to pray for his church. We need to pray for him that God will strengthen them. Because all of this revolves around how silent can we be? How silent can not only I be, but how silent can we be as a people? And I believe that God is going to look at this and use it as one of his last straws with regards to America and his covering of our nation as to whether or not we're going to come under that level of persecution. You know, all persecution isn't just about uh, getting shot at or getting tortured or getting stoned. You know, you know, torture can come in a lot more refined ways. Persecution can be a whole lot more refined. Now, here in South Carolina, to be candid, it takes no great act of courage to endorse a candidate this year because our state just is a big old red state on the map. I, I, I mean, as what I'm reading and all the rest, it's almost a done deal. We, all, we, we have to go vote. We have to follow through on our citizenship. But South Carolinans at large tend to be a rather conservative, Bible Belt kind of people. And I'll always pray that that will remain intact. This is our state, and we'll do our best to make sure it remains intact. But, but the letter that I received, and of course the Word of God, has reminded me that now is the time that I begin to teach you and I begin to teach your kids what it means to express your vote as a Christian. You know, this is a part of our civic duty, yes, but it's a part of our Christian duty as well. And I just want to share with you some things personally about how I begin to work through things in my life because I I am a Christian. I'm not just a Christian on Sunday. I'm not just on a Christian for a few minutes in the morning when I do my devotions. I am a Christian everywhere I go. I am a Christian 24-7, and I will be a Christian when I walk into a voting booth. And I look at candidates, and I make my decisions. My Christian faith will highly, intricately, supremely guide me as to what I do when I go into that voting booth. So I just want to share with you some things that maybe you can glean off of. Number one, the first thing I'll say is this, that my allegiance is not to any party. I am under no delusion that one party or the other has a corner on God. I have watched the two major parties do things that are unbiblical and their leaders do things that lack character and integrity. It has reminded me that my hope is not in Washington, D.C. And if we think that true change will come through some legislation or governmental policy, we are deceived. The two major parties have given us candidates that, for me as a serious Christian, really didn't excite me all that much. It has caused me to look deeply as to how my faith is to be reflected when I go in and vote for somebody. I do know that Matthew 6.33 says that I have to seek the kingdom first. So anything I seek, I must seek the kingdom first. I I don't seek the economy first. I don't... I I, I don't seek the tax code first. Are you with me? we got to seek the kingdom first. Number two, I want everyone to know that my desire is to obey the law. Paul is clear, and we teach this clearly here at Legacy out of Romans 13, 1 through 7, that as much as it is possible without violating the word of God, 
I'm to walk obediently under the laws of the land. I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not trying to stir up trouble. I'm not trying to find some way I can just be the thorn in someone's side and be a troublemaker. Jesus was clear. He said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Paul said, pay tax to whom tax is due. Honor to whom honor is due. It is clear in the Bible that in mu- as much as it is possible, we are to pursue peace with all people. But when my nation, that I love too, begins to contradict the word of God, which I am bound to, and it begins to play this slippery slope even with the Constitution, which it purports to adhere to, then it is clear to me that a crossroads has been reached. And folks, we've watched many things slip and have said little. And now there is the moment that certain forces want to be sure we say nothing. I am oftentimes reminded how in the 1930s and 40s in Nazi Germany, the Nazis did their best to cut off the voice of the church in their culture. They didn't want the church calling them on the extermination of the Jewish people. They didn't want the church calling them on what they were doing by their ways of aggression all through Eastern Europe. They didn't want the church saying anything. So the, the, the government of that, of that time period in Nazi Germany actually put into place restrictions upon the pastors. But there were certain pastors, they were called confessing pastors, that stood up like Reinhold Niebuhr. And he called out Adolf Hitler by name. He didn't endorse him. And he actively campaigned against him. And he said, killing a race of people is not right. And he went to the concentration camps with the Jewish people as well. And I'll never forget one of the things he wrote in one of his books concerning what happened in Nazi Germany was this phrase. He said, at first they came for the trade unionists, and I wasn't a trade unionist, so I said nothing. Then they came for the handicapped, and I wasn't handicapped, so I said nothing. And then they came for the Jews, and I wasn't Jewish, so I didn't say anything. Then they came for the Catholics, and I wasn't Catholic, so I didn't say anything. And then they came for me. And then there was no one to say anything. Number three, I want you to know that I have no problem voting for a woman or a non-white candidate. In fact, I'll just tell you right up front, I voted for Alan Keyes on two separate occasions. I had people in the Republican Party look at me like I had lost my mind. They, they said to me, they said, you're throwing your vote away. No, I'm not. I'm voting right. I'd vote probably. I mean, I don't know all their positions. I'd probably vote for a J.C. Watts if he ran. I can think of several women. I don't know all their positions, so I would, I would say this with just a caveat. I don't know everything about them, but I kind of like Condoleezza Rice. And I could, I could get both at the same time, gender and race. I could easily pull the lever for a woman or a non-white candidate, but my guiding principle is not your reproductive system and it's not the pigmentation of your skin. I believe Martin Luther King Jr. got it right when he said that it is not the color of a man's skin, but it is the content of his character that defines a person. I believe he was right. He was absolutely right. And he spoke that into our nation. 
So when I hit a voting booth, a person's skin color and their gender means very little. In fact, biblically, I mean Deborah. Deborah was a judge that ruled over all of Israel. So I got biblical grounds to vote for a woman as a leader. And I, so I, I'm, I am guessing, and I think it to be true, I don't believe there was one white ruler in all the scriptures. So there you go. Number four, I do believe that a nation's rulers are important. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 2, there's a great verse here that everybody can relate to. Proverbs 29 and 2, we read, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Our leaders make a difference. Our elected leaders reflect something about us as a nation. We need to start taking that into account. That as we begin to put people into office and we we vote for them, it is saying something about us. Now, I want to give you some considerations here of just a committed Christian. I want to... I wanted to say I I do my best to be a committed Christian. I I, I don't know that I put myself up as the absolute example. I wouldn't be presumptuous to do that. But I I have a heart to be an absolute, sold out, totally committed Christian. And the question is, what do you begin to do when when you're facing what we face every four years, it seems like, at least the last few cycles? I want to give you just a couple of considerations here. As you begin to consider what you're going to do Tuesday. Number one, I must start to connect the dots concerning my nation. What does that mean? It means that as the longest enduring democracy in the history of the world, we need to wake up and realize that unless some fundamental things change in our culture, we are on borrowed time. The Roman Empire, the Greek empires, all the notable empires all through history fell due to a number of reasons, most of which are being demonstrated in America today. In those nations, there were six or seven uh, important bullet points that probably took them out as, as a great empire, as a dominant force in their particular era. I'll just give you some of them right here. As nations, they learned that they could raid their own treasury. And the minute those nations learned that they could vote and get something out of the main treasury, their decline began to take place. They developed an entitlement thinking that somehow they were owed something. They didn't have to work hard. They didn't have to seize opportunity they didn't have to do these things there was no more responsibility that the that the nation was so great it could take care of little old me it's interesting as well and i don't say this out of any sense of prejudice but they couldn't control their borders either all of those nations fell because people ran over the borders in those days they were called vandals and barbarians you say you saying you don't love hispanic people no i love hispanic people I want Hispanic people to come. I want America to be great. I just, I just feel like we ought to do this thing in some sort of order. Just like I don't like it when someone cuts in front of me at the grocery store, why should we let someone cut in front of everybody 
when they come to America's grocery store. See? Do you understand that in the nation of Israel, even God said, control your borders. He didn't say keep foreigners out. He never said keep foreigners out. In fact, he said they could come in and be blessed along with you. There was rampant public immorality in those empires, especially homosexuality. It was rampant. The bathhouses. It was was absolutely in the street and over the top. The economy, the economy in those nations could not handle the philosophy that was being implemented and raised up in that era, and they all fell. Now, we got to connect the dots, folks. Psalms 11, verse 3 says that if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? For me, as a Christian, I must watch the foundations of my nation. We are called to watch. Listen, watch what, don't watch Wall Street. Watch the foundations of your nation. Wall Street goes up and down and all around. It is a roller coaster ride. Watch the foundations of the nation. When politicians want to change the definition of marriage, which is the foundation building block of order in our society, when they want to change the definition of marriage, when they want to promote through legislation the endorsement of homosexuality, which the Bible tells me. Now, I'm not t- this isn't my opinion. I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. Paul said that there is a futility that enters into the thinking and that, they, that, 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 that there's such confusion and futility in their minds that it would call into question their ability to lead. Folks, this is true. If, you're, if you were a serial adulterer, That highly questions, at least in my mind, whether I'm going to trust you or not. I mean, if you come home and your own spouse can't trust you, then why should I trust you with billions and trillions of dollars? If you can't get back to your own bed, why do I think you'll get anything right in other areas of life? Don't tell me it's your personal life. Your personal life is who you really are. I am so tired of hearing politicians say, well, this is my personal life, but this is my public life. Hey, let me tell you something. Your personal life tells me more about you than what you are in front of that television camera. If you're sleeping with your pages, if you're playing footsie in a bathroom stall, if you're drunk on the road, if you're taking bribes, that tells me something. It tells me something. 1 Corinthians 15.33, I'm just going to be real biblical. The Bible says, do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good morals. So I want you to know that who a person hangs around matters to me. Because birds of a feather, we have to start connecting some dots. Are you with me? We got to connect some dots. Number two. I must learn how to prioritize my concerns. The Bible tells me that Esau sold his inheritance for a bowl of soup. We are selling our future in America to get a tax break. We're selling our futures to get a tax credit. We're selling our futures to get a stimulus check. The saddest thing I can tell you this morning, and it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, The key issues haven't even been talked about very much. 
We keep hearing the phrase, well, it's the economy, it's the economy, it's the economy. No, it's not just the economy. It's some foundational things. Proverbs 6.17 says that God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. That's, that's God. I don't, I don't hate anybody. But God says he hates the hands that shed innocent blood. Folks, I'll just tell you, this is me. Now, I already told you, I'm working through me. I don't need a tax break if it's on the back of the unborn. If a couple hundred bucks is all it takes for you in order to let another 1.5 million babies get aborted by convenience, then that says something. The economy isn't changing my view on the worth of the unborn. Could you imagine in Nazi Germany, people going and, and, and Adolf saying, I'm going to help the economy and just ignore we're exterminating a race of people. And, and, and they're just going, well, you know, there's really not much we can do about it anyway. And I want my $200. Can you imagine? I don't understand in my Christian universe how a person can say, I want a tax break but not look at this barbaric procedure that is called partial birth abortion. It is grisly. It is as close to infanticide as you can get. And there are politicians who play fast and loose with little phrases in their legislation in order that they can keep certain constituencies happy. There's never a reason that I am aware that that procedure is ever used in order to help save anyone's life. It simply brings a baby out of the birth canal and before its little head gets out, I'm sorry I even have to say this, but it's to snap us out of our slumber. They sit and they put an instrument in the back of its neck and they scramble its brains. It's like pissing a frog in science class. It happens in America, folks. But boy, we'll get you a couple hundred bucks. Grizzly, grizzly, grizzly. I don't, I don't even understand why this thing's even debated. we got to prioritize our concerns. If somebody doesn't cry out for them, who's going to cry out for them? Maybe we ought to just let all our little kids, maybe we ought to take the babies out of the nursery and just line them all up here, moms, with them in your arms, and just turn them over to their backside. Does that make it a little bit clearer? Number three, I must realize... That I am accountable to God for my vote. We have, we, we, have, we have bought into this secular notion of compartmentalization. Compartmentalization is this. It, it, this is how you hear it a lot of times. Well, you know, business is business and church is church. That's how a lot of times compartmentalization is manifested. Well, you know, this is just how it works in business, but I know this is the spiritual, but you know, you got to realize business is business. Well, let me, let, me, let me just tell you, some people do that politically. Well, you know, politics is politics and spiritual is spiritual. I don't know where you got that from, but you didn't get it from your Bible. No, you didn't. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do, would voting be included in whatever you do? I think so. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is what I suggest to you. This is how it can make it real practical to you that when you start pushing buttons and you start voting for the people you're going to vote for, do it when you do it, say in Jesus' name. 
Come on, get, get some guts, because let's, let's, let's see if Jesus really would endorse that. I mean, how can we vote for politicians who openly favor what our God condemns? How can we vote for politicians who promise to keep partial birth abortion legal? How do we vote for those who want to undermine marriage, the most basic of our foundations? These things, folks, matter to God. And I want to remind you that the Lord is with me everywhere I go, and he's with you, and I suspect he'll be following me right into that voting booth. It may appear that you're alone when you pull the curtain or however it works, but I will assure you that the Lord will be there reminding you. I'm praying that the Holy Ghost whispers to you that you have a spiritual moment. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation. Do we want America to be a superpower again? Do we want America to be at the top? Do we want America to be the the envy of the world as they see how it works within our nation? Well, we need to remember that it's righteousness that exalts a nation. It is not the economy that exalts a nation. It is not Wall Street that exalts a nation. It's not our military might that exalts a nation. It's not the business climate that exalts a nation. It's not the tax code that exalts a nation. It is righteousness that exalts a nation. And if America loses her stature, it will not be on the back of my vote. I may love my nation straight into third world status, but I'll be able to stand and say it wasn't because of my vote. Number four, I must be prepared for consequences and persecution. You know, it's interesting, you read the Bible, and we think that the Bible is a great book to read, but we never make it real practical and see it in our own culture. You know, Peter and John were told in Acts 5, 28 and 29, they were brought before a ruling authority there, and they were told that they could not preach or teach in the name of Jesus. Now listen to this. Hear them, it said they could preach or teach, just not in the name of Jesus. You understand what's happening today? You guys can go ahead and have nice little sermons and talk about virtue and value. And just as long as you don't declare who really is king. You can say really a lot of stuff just. Don't get into that that who's king. Because you see, the reason they don't want us talking about government is because people want us to think government's king. Folks, I'm here to tell you, I love America. I think it's the best, greatest hope of the world. I think it is an incredible an incredible system. I think it's a biblical system of, of, how, of how it is set up and how a nation can have such great potentiality, but I'm telling you, it's still not king. The ruling authority told them that they were that you're causing a stir. Everybody in the streets all stirred up. So we're telling you not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. And Acts 5.29 is the caveat to Romans 13, which says that everybody ought to obey the ruling authority, and we should. But whenever we're asked to do something that violates the word of God, they responded with the correct answer. They said, we must obey God rather than man. And they were flogged, they were whipped, but the scripture said they left rejoicing because they were able to suffer for righteousness' sake. All through the Bible, all through American history, the shepherds, the pastors, the prophets, the church has spoken to this nation 
and has spoken to its leaders. You cannot tell me I can't, I can't speak to the name of a leader when Samuel looked at Saul and said, this day the kingdom's been taken away from you. When Nathan looked at David and he said, thou art the man. When Elijah looked at Ahab and said, you're the one. John the Baptist looked at Herod and said out loud, cost him his head, but he said it out loud, you're sleeping with your brother's, what, daughter, sister, who is, I don't know. He wasn't in his own bed. Let me tell you something, folks. Obedience cannot be attached to an IRS regulation. I'm just telling you this. You're going to have to start thinking about this. If you give your tithe or your offerings because you get a tax deduction, and while that's nice and I use it just like you do, if they take it away, it's not going to affect my obedience one twit. I'm grateful. I'll probably be one of the voices that fight that change. But I'm here to tell you, if it gets changed, it won't stop me at all. I figure if these guys can get whipped and flogged, then levy the accounts. I mean, I mean you're, we're, we're entering an era that we're going to have to consider what it is that we're going to stand for. This is our nation's future. I, I, I hope levies are the toughest thing we'll ever have to face. I mean, there could come a day, who knows, that they could come in and they could march me off to jail for being obedient to God. I'd hope you'd take an offering and bail me out. Some of you would probably say, good, we were looking for a reason. Folks, I'm an optimist, usually. But America is changing. Oh yeah, there's change coming. And it may not be the change the Lord would have wanted. Unless we wake up, the clocks are ticking. I'll never forget, and I'm closing with this, that in the mid-1800s, a politician, a, a notable man from France, came to visit America. His name was Alexis de Tocqueville. And many of you that know your history know that at the time of the American Revolution, France had its own revolution. And, and there were very much some similarities that existed between the two, and, and, and the France ended up coming over and helping us fight as well against the British. And it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting story. But after, after 50, 75 years or so of existing as democracies, France just wasn't as far along as the United States of America was. And so Alexis de Tocqueville came over to America, and he, and he decided to take a trip all through America, to find out what it was, what, what made America so much different than France? What made America's democracy different than what took place under the French Revolution? And it's interesting that as you read his writings, he said that everywhere I went, I began to see what made America great. He said what made America great was that its pulpits were aflame with righteousness. Isn't it interesting? Look at the United States of America and look at France and realize that for the last 200 plus years we've both had democracy and ask yourself, which one would you rather be? I'm telling you, there's a group right now that's opting for France. 
I'm telling you that if it ain't broke, it's probably biblical. During the American Revolution, when the British would go from city to city and from town to town, and as, as they would be invading these towns, and as the colonial army would oftentimes have to retreat by way of military strategy, the British would go into towns. And whenever they'd go into towns, they would, uh, they would kill off what they called the Black Regiment. I remember when I first ran across the word, the phrase, the Black Regiment, I, I thought to myself, well, what were they talking about? Were they talking about African slaves? Were they talking about uh, skin color? Were they talking about, you know, just, just how do you, what was the Black Regiment? I came to find out that the British considered the Black Regiment to be the pastors because of their black robes. And every time they would go into a town or they would go into a city, the first thing they would do is they would march to the pastor's home and they would kill them, his whole family. Because you know what they knew? They knew if you cut off the head, the body will die. There was a Lutheran pastor by the name of Peter Mullenberg who, when it was decided that America would finally declare war and and begin to fight for their independence. And I wish I could share with you all the ways the American, the American colonies and the, the leaders of the colonies appealed to the king and all the ways they endeavored to avoid a conflict. But there came a moment when that was unavoidable. Sometimes when you fight tyranny, it becomes unavoidable. And Peter Mullenberger stood before his congregation and he gave this real stirring word about, about freedom and liberty and about tyranny and anarchy. And the account said that when he was done, he stood up before him and, and, he, and he ripped off his black pulpit robe. And underneath it was the uniform of a colonel. And he looked at his congregation and he said, and now is the time to fight. And he enlisted every man in the church that morning. I bet he did. I bet he did. Folks, I'm not advocating violence. I'm really not advocating anarchy. I'm just advocating that if we don't step up and start voting for something a little bit weightier than what our pocketbook feels like, we're in trouble. If you can't, if you can't trust God in this regard, you're in trouble. And I understand legacy. We're just medium, medium kind of sized church. But folks, this is the moment that you and I can exert great influence. Influence in the heavenlies. We can certainly influence those we might rub shoulders with. But if it, but if it doesn't start with us, we're in trouble. So this morning, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask musicians, if you'd come, everybody else, stand with me, please. Would you stand? And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for Tuesday here in just a moment. I'm going to pray for our nation.
Holy Spirit, would you settle in amongst us right now? Settle in amongst us right now. Cause us to get our priorities back in order. Cause us to see things, Lord, as you see them. Help us to trust you explicitly, but walk obediently. Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would hear the cry of your people. There's never been a more, I don't think, important hour than maybe the one we're facing. We're at a crossroad. A crossroad. And Lord, I believe it'd be easier to keep the ship on the road that's worked for hundreds of years than to try to turn it if it gets off. So Lord, help us. I pray. Would you just, where you're standing right now, would you just begin to call out to God? You don't have to throw any intercession or words, but just call out to God and say, God, hear us, hear us, hear us. Hear us, Lord. Hear us, Lord. Hear us, Lord. Hear us, Lord.
right now come on now we got to cry out we've got to begin to battle for another generation some of us are about ready to move off the scene and and if we don't if we don't hand this off right we're going to give our children and our grandchildren a mess Lord we cry out for America today we cry out for America today. We intercede for righteousness sake. We cry out for godly leaders, not expedient politicians. Lord, unveil the truth. Unveil the truth. Lord, I pray, I pray right now that, Lord, you would move in our nation. 
Lord, we have sinned before you. With how we've treated the unborn, that is sin before you. Forgive us as a nation. Lord, forgive us for how we've ignored the outcasts and the poor. Lord, we've, we've sinned against you in those regards. We've sinned against you, Lord. Because not, we could not be faithful as a nation with regards to our bodies. We've sinned against nature and of you, O oh God. We've sinned against you, Lord, because we've not upheld just the, the, the foundational concept of structure called marriage. We've sinned against you. Lord, it is time we, 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 we quit identifying with the culture and we started identifying with you and what you are and who you are and what you can do. Lord, I pray for this Tuesday. Lord, again, I don't know how it works as you move amongst people. I know your word says that the heart of a king is in your hand. So I have to believe that the heart of the masses and the people are in your hand. And Lord, I believe your word where it says you raise one up and you set another down and Lord, I know the people, I, I know the people hollered at one time for a king. You didn't want to give them a king, but they hollered for one. And they, they cried out and they cried out and they cried out. And, and the word says that you told them, you told them what they would get. You tried to show them what they would get, but you gave them what they wanted. And when they got what they wanted, it led them into idolatry and it led them into sin and it led them into terrible days Lord Lord I cry out that you don't give us what what we think we want you give us what we need Lord Lord help us as a nation help us as a nation to not cry out for the one who just promises the most I'm so tired of hearing Republicans and Democrats telling me what they're going to give me give me give me give me give me Lord I don't want I just don't want someone that's going to give me something. I want somebody that will do, Lord, what you would have them do. I want somebody that would lead this great nation. Lord, forgive us. We have forgotten your statutes and we have forgotten your precepts. We have forgotten them. And Lord, we've not been diligent to teach our children and our children's children. We have a generation coming out of college right now. Who, who just are looking for the celebrity. Lord, help them, I pray in Jesus' name. Help them. Help them. Oh, God, help us all. Help us all. This is too great a matter for me, oh God, too great a matter. But it's not for you. In the 11th hour, you can move. Lord, you can, you can do what no one prognosticated. You can do this. Hallelujah. Let's just pray in the Spirit. I just feel like we need to pray in the Spirit. Sometimes when you don't know what to pray, you just pray in the Spirit. Ira bara sondo korando, 
tierra para ser el Aleluya. Aleluya. thing and I'm going to cut you loose here. Listen to me. We are required by scripture to be salt and light. We're to do our best to be that in our nation, in our cities, in our personal situations. But, but this is the greatness of our God. I, I, I'm going to do everything I can. The Bible says having done all, you stand. It's all you can do. You just do all that you can do and then you stand. And, 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 and even if, and even if something doesn't take place that I think would have been better. Even if something happens that we would look and say, wow, this is going a wrong direction. Can I just share this with you? The church's greatest hour is when things aren't going its direction. You know why? It's because you finally get to trim off those that really are just in it just because it's kind of cultural and it's the thing to do. Then you find out who's in it because they're in it, man. They're in it. The greatest hour of the church has always been when Nero didn't like it or when Domitian persecuted it it's always been that way it's always been that way when they were when they uh, even even the, the Catholic Church brought its persecutions and inquisitions I mean there's always been a people God has always had a people always had a people and we're gonna be that people and if it's just you me and three or four more that's cool because he's always had a people he will always meet our need and he will always prevail See, it's not about the next election. It's about who finishes the race. Say, that's just, that's just a chapter. We're running to the end. Amen? But you do your part. You do your part. God is with you. He will go with you. And uh, I, I believe God will be glorified. One way or another, He's going to be glorified. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you this morning for sensitizing our conscience again. Thank you again for stirring our hearts under remembrance of the things that matter. Thank you again, Lord, for a people, Lord, who can be mobilized here in this local body, Lord, to do what they can do. Lord, all we can do is all we can do. But having done all, we will stand. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the impact that's going to make on so many different levels. Lord, I believe you're granting people great influence in this place this morning. So Lord, help us to use it, not just wisely, but wisely and godly so that we might glorify you. Lord, I release your people in blessing. I release them in safety. Let them have a great day and let them have a great week. Lord, as we see your hand all around us, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord, let's give the King a great big hand clap. Amen. Amen. All right, turn around, love each other, hug each other's neck, and God bless you, your release. I hope I see many of you in the middle of the week. God bless. Tuesday, don't forget.